0: How are we doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, any, anyone here last Sunday night? Yeah. Did anyone enjoy that? Three people liked it. Everyone else thought it was miserable. Come on. Like, was that good? Was it good? It was awesome, right? It was good. Um, let's pray. We, we need some help this morning. So let's Let's pray. Um, Got got a lot to work, a lot of work to do today, but it's uh, it's a good word. So let's uh, let's get after the Lord together. God, you you are a great God. Um, you are a God who is worthy of our affection, worthy um, of us gathering this morning, worthy of us taking time out of our day to to corporately come together and say, you are God. God, I would ask that this morning, um, what, what I would do is, is add wood to the fire, Lord. We pray that we would, would really stir in us a fire for you. But, Lord, we know that you're the only one who can light that fire, so we ask that you would. God, we ask that you would uh, move us this morning uh, into an experience of worship so that we may love you more and chase and follow you and you alone. Uh, you are the center of our affection. We love you in your name. Amen. So, because it's a it's a nice uh, sunny day, we've had a great week. I'm gonna start things out on kind of a, a light, easy note. Uh, I got a question for all of us. I don't I don't want you to answer it out loud. It's it's really a simple question. So, uh, it is this. It, it is this. Um, why do you exist? Why Why do you exist? Right, and, and despite it being unwildly popular. I'm not going to just let you fill in the blank here. But I will make it a little bit easier. I'm going to make this multiple choice. Alright? So, why do we exist? Why do you and I, why, why were, we, why do we exist? Option A. Why do we exist? You exist, you and I, for no reason at all. Alright, that's option A. If, if this world was simply a byproduct of chance, and time, and you can throw in a little bit of nothingness, then we exist for no reason whatsoever at all. So your existence is, uh, it really doesn't matter. It's for nothing. So that's option A. All right, let's, let's get a little more cheery. Option B. Um, option B is fun because you get to decide why you exist. It's, it's legitimate. It's totally legit. You get to decide why you exist. But that is, of course, only true if you created yourself. Right so so if you cause your own existence then you get to determine why you exist. So any anyone in here want to stake that claim? Anyone I'd give you the mic, I'd give you the next 35 minutes. I I want to hear how before you existed you caused yourself to exist and then you could tell us why. All right? So so option A Uh, We exist for no purpose at all, no reason. Option B, you get to choose your own existence, but that's only for those who created themselves. And that really only leaves us with one other option, and that is uh, option C. Why do you and I exist? We exist for the reason given to us by the one who created us. Hmm, someone created us. That's wild. So this is where I say we're a church, and we believe that someone created us. If you thought this was a donut shop, surprise like we're a church we believe things right we we believe that god exists it's it's a wild wild thought and and not only that but we are an evangelical church and that means we want you to believe what we believe also so that secret's out like we want you to believe what we believe um we'll, we'll defend your right to believe whatever you want like absolutely but you're probably wrong in certain things. And, and by you, I mean those who don't follow in line with what God has revealed himself to us. So, so why do we exist? Why are we here? We're here for the sole purpose of the creator who says, this is why I made you. And that's what we're going to be getting after today. We're going to be getting after that, that big question of, of why. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Why, why are we as human beings? Why are we a part of this earth? Why, why did I wake up this morning? What is my purpose in life? It's a wild thought. It's a great thought. It's great that we can kind of look out and, and look into creation and see, wow, God has revealed himself to us. Right, on, on a complete side note, I'll, I'll say this, totally on the side, totally for free. I don't want you to get distracted here, but isn't it amazing that even though Even though we have, and it's true, we do have an anthropomorphic view of God. So that means that you and I can, we can only relate to God in terms of our experience, in terms of our language, in terms of of what we experience. But isn't it wild that we can actually have an accurate view of God? Like that's, pretty, that's a pretty wild thought. It's, it's weird to think that um, we can actually have a correct view of God. And that's because God, while creating, says, I'm going to make this world. I'm going to fill it with creatures. I'm going to fill it with relationships so that when you see them, you will think of me. So that marriage, marriage was created by God to point to Christ and the church. It's wild. So that's, that's on the side. C.S. Lewis does a way better job explaining that than I just tried to, but, but we'll, we'll get there another day. So we believe, we believe that God has created us, and we believe he's created us for a reason, and we're going to talk about this morning uh, exactly what that reason is. So if you've got a Bible, we're going Mark 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got them out there. Next time you come in, please take one. We want you to have one. Uh, that's our gift to you. So grab one on your way out. But Mark 12, famous passage, especially here at Northwest Hills. It is uh, what I, what we identify as our passion. You know, we say we are one family with one passion reaching out to all people. Well, the heart of that passion comes from Mark 12. It's uh it's a passage that's preached from often. So we're going to look at that. We're going to actually, uh, that's going to take us into the old Testament, into Exodus, and uh, eventually we'll end up There, So we'll start in Mark 12. Mark 12, verse 28. Mark 12, 28. Here we go. Uh, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, he's asking Jesus, he says, which commandment is the most important of all? He, he knows that God has revealed himself to his people. He, he knows that, that after the exodus, after God brought his people out of slavery, that God revealed himself, and, and mainly through law, mainly through the commandments. And there's a ton of them, right? There's, there's all kinds of laws. And God says, I, I made relationships to look like this. I made a family to look like this. I made worship to look like this. And this guy wants to know, man, out of all of those, like, is there an order of priority here? Is, is there one that's that's most important? And Jesus answers him and he says this verse 29. He says, the most important is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one and you shall love the Lord, your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The man gets really excited. He's like, man, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of laws that, that talk about how I am to respond in worship, how how I'm supposed to, to do certain things, how, how my behavior is supposed to be. Uh, and he starts out with the most important. He says, it's most important that your heart is a heart that longs for the one true God, that you are not chasing after another, that you love him with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. And it's not simply about trying to go through some some activity to try to coerce God into, uh, bending his affections towards you. It's about loving the God of the universe as he is. We're going to go back a couple of chapters, a couple thousand pages and see where Jesus gets that from. So if you've got a Bible, Exodus 20, we're going to go back there and this is where we're going to camp out for the remainder of our time here. Exodus chapter 20. God has, again, he's brought his people out of the nation of uh, Egypt, out of slavery. Remember the ten plagues? Pharaoh says, fine, go, go, I don't want you anymore. And they leave, and Pharaoh says, no, 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 I actually, you know, I kind of want you back. So he sends the army, there's the big chase. You know, they get to the Red Sea, boom, Moses parts the sea, Israelites go through, Imperial Army on the chariots is chasing, the waters recede, the army dies, and God's people are on their way to the land that God said he would give to them. They're on their way. And and God says, you know, I want to reveal myself to you. I want to I want to show you just a small glimpse of who I am. And he he gathers them around this mountain called Mount Sinai. And he says, I don't want you to go onto the mountain. I want you to gather around it. Don't touch it. Don't get on it. But I want you to just gather around it. I'm going to show you just a small picture of my glory here. We, we have the picture of, of in Exodus 19 uh, of just smoke and fire and earthquakes and, and loud noise. And, and in the midst of that, God calls Moses and says, Moses, I want you to get up here. So I want you to get out your old notebook. I want you to get out the old pen. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I want to show you um, how to be a people. That's that's the context of where we're at. So So he starts this out in chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words saying this, verse two, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He goes on in chapter 20 and he gives the rest of the Ten Commandments. But what we're going to do is we're going we're to just park it right here. We're going to look at those first two. It says. What you are supposed to do, the most important thing, this is the first thing that he tells um, Moses. He says, you are to love the Lord your God. You're to love me first. And not only that, but you are to serve me. You are to worship me only. You are never supposed to bow down to, to anything created that you made. He says, he says don't make any images. Don't, don't make any idols. You are to worship me and me alone. And then he says this phrase, for I am a jealous God. So why, a wild word. It's, it's a word that, that took me a while to kind of wrestle through and, and figure out. What, what is he talking about? I am a jealous God. It's a word that uh, is only used six times in the Old Testament, but it's a word that we. It's a theme that we see throughout narrative and, and throughout um, understanding emotion throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I remember as a as a child in elementary school, I got I got a ring. Um, kind of weird that guy's getting rings in elementary school, but I got a ring and, and on it was this Bible verse. It was this exact verse. It was, it was a, a different section. It was from Deuteronomy 6, uh, and the verse was this, thou shalt not bow down or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, I don't know about you, but I was super confused as a kid. Like, what? What's the deal? Like, you're a jealous God and you hate people. No, people hate you and you're going to visit them. Like what, what's that about? Like, usually you see things like, and the Lord will lift you up on wings like eagles and, you know, you're going to soar with them and that'd be pretty cool. Um, and there's things like, you know, God's got a plan for you, but, uh, I am, I'm a jealous God. What's that about? When I was younger, I thought it was a mistake. Honestly, I thought, I thought like they just, chunked out the whole Bible and just decided, let's put each verse on a ring. And I just got this really weird verse that said, I'm a jealous God. But, but what is, what does it mean that God is a jealous God? Cause, cause it's the first thing that he says he says you're to worship me and you're to worship me only because, because I'm a jealous God. It's a super interesting idea. So, so, so we need to, we need to understand what the Bible is talking about when it talks about jealousy, right? Because, because our version of jealousy is, is slightly different. So, so I don't know about you guys, but I get jealous over things occasionally, you know, like, so, so I'll see someone who's just got, man, just great ears. Those are nice ears, right? Like I bet you can hear really well with those ears and, and, you know, laterally they, they line up. That's a plus. You know, equidistant from the eyes and the nose, like that. Those are nice. And things like uh, things like socks. You know, you see someone else they got like smart wool on. Wow, those are like twelve dollars each. That's amazing. In Oregon, people like to show those off with tivas also. And it's, I mean, it's it's wild. You know, things like belts. Like wow, I see someone who's got a nice belt. Man, that I bet that thing really holds up his pants. That's just that's a nice belt. I need to get me one of those, right? And you guys probably get jealous over things like that too, right? You know, things like belts and socks. You know, and and if you're new here, I'm I'm joking. Like I get jealous over other things too. But uh, you know, that's that's kind of along the line of what we think of when we think of jealousy. Like I I want something that I don't have that someone else has, right? And and, and this text here actually speaks to that. If you were to kind of go down further in Exodus 20. We read, uh, we read that you shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife. You shouldn't covet your neighbor's uh, male servants, his female servants, his ox, his donkey. Um, AKA, you shouldn't covet that, you know, that house on Zillow or Realtor.com or your neighbor's car or your that girl on TV or on the internet or uh, you know that that car you've always wanted. Maybe you want that new 2013 Prius or that 92 Dodge Neon with the flames on the side. I don't know. Whatever you want. Like, you shouldn't covet that. Another word we might use for that is, is envy, right? But, but what's the relationship between envy, coveted, coveting, and jealousy? What's, what's jealousy? How, how does that fit into all this? Especially biblically, when God says, I'm a jealous God, what, what are we talking about? Eric Tonnes is, is one of my favorite professors from undergrad Um, I got to give him a lot of credit for just the thought of of preaching through this idea of jealousy. He writes this book called Godly Jealousy, and he makes a clear distinction in his book between um, really the way that uh, we use jealousy and envy. And he says that envy he says envy is the desire to gain possession of something that is not yours. And he says jealousy, on the other hand, is the desire to maintain possession of something that does belong to you. All right, so we're going we're gonna to take a little journey here for a minute. I want you to, to uh, kind of walk with me as, as I recall the story. So there, there's a young man. We'll call, we'll call him Billy. Billy was a sophomore in college. Anyone here ever been to college? Oh, yeah. So you remember what sophomore year was like, some of us. Some of us a long time ago. Um, sophomore year in college, he has this awesome creative writing course. And uh, right next to him is just this bombshell Emily, and he's just I mean, he is thrilled to be sitting next to Emily. He has a hard time getting any work done because he's got this girl next to him. He's like, how am I supposed to concentrate? I got Emily sitting there. You know, it's hard. And, and according to God's sovereignty, the professor assigned a group project. He's looking around. <laughs> Cha-ching, Emily, what do you think? You and me, project. And she's kind of looking around like, ah, oh, this feels kind of nice. Someone wants to, you know, partner up with me. This is great. let's do this. So, so they start the group project and you know, uh, day one goes by, things are going pretty good. And day two goes by and he kind of musters up a little strength. He says, Hey, Hey baby girl, you want, he doesn't say that he says, (laughs) he says, he says, so, uh, you know, are you doing anything on Friday? I'm not doing anything on Friday. What do you say? We uh, go to the movies or something. And she says, man, she, she actually, she, she feels really good about this, but she says, Oh, I'm, I'm really sorry, but um, I didn't tell you this earlier, but I'm, I'm dating a guy that I've been dating since high school, and, and he goes to another college, but you know, I, probably, I probably shouldn't uh, go on a date with you, and, and Billy's pretty bummed out, right? but, but being of the male species, he puts on his gloves and he says, time to go to work. Like bring it on, high school boyfriend, and, and in, a, in a genuine, honest way of pursuing a woman, not like a creepy, I followed you on Twitter and we were both magically at Bed Bath and Beyond type of way, but like a like a normal, normal like he he's genuine, he's caring, you know, just not not crossing boundaries, but just very nice. He's he's there for her, and, and they they build a friendship. Right, and so a couple years go by, and and Emily finds out that her loser boyfriend had been chasing other women at this school, so she dumps him. And Billy's thinking, man, this is this is great, this is just good news. So a couple a couple more months go by, and and finally she says, yeah, I'll go on a date with you. And and she's excited, she likes him, they've got a good relationship. And and a couple months turns into a couple years, and then Billy um, musters up the strength to get on his knee and he asks her to marry him. And and man, it's it's beautiful. They have a great relationship. Right. So so they're married together. They're struggling through the first couple of years of marriage. They're both in grad school. You know, they're working hard. He's got the night shift. I mean, they're they're struggling to, to eat cereal three times a day. I'm mean, just whatever it takes. They're doing it, though. Right. Three years go by and, and whoops, baby number one. Right. And then a couple more years, we've got baby number two, followed by three, four and five. And, uh, you know, Billy's just doing everything he can to love and lead his family. Things are going well. All right, Billy and Emily, um, they're enjoying life. Things are going good. They've, they've got a good church. They're in a good community group. Um, they're serving. Life's just going pretty well for them. Five or six years in, um, uh, Emily's starting to not feel very well. Right, she's like, I, I just got these headaches. I don't know what's going on. And, and she goes to the doctor and they find out that she has stage two cancer. All right, and Just, just devastated. What do we do? So, so Billy walks through um, the whole process radiation, chemo. I mean, they're, they're doing the whole thing together. He has to take furlough from work. He's, he's taken five months off. I mean, he's just there by the bed. I mean, the whole thing. It's, it's, it's hard. You know, he, he walks through it, and they're, and they're living life best they can, but it's, it's a struggle. All right? So, so, time moves forward. You know, things are going well. Things are back to normal again. Been married 15, 16 years at this point. One night, um, Billy sits on the couch, and he pulls out his iPad, and he wants to check the score to a game. So, so he flips it open, and, and it's uh, the front of Facebook. And he sees, he sees on the bottom corner, he sees there's a little message that pops up from, uh, from a George Thompson. And on this message, it's flashing. It says, hey, Emily, haven't talked to you in a while. How are you doing? He's like, well, that's kind of weird. Who, who's George Thompson? He, he has no idea who she is. And he kind of looks at Emily and says, hey, Emily, do you know who George Thompson is? And she, she pauses for a second. And she's like, yeah, he's, a, he's a, a coworker. Why do you ask? He says, well, because there's, uh, there's this message on Facebook that says, I haven't seen you in a couple of days. I haven't talked to you. How are you doing? And she's like, well, that's kind of weird. In fact, that's really weird. Like, why, why would he do that? And, and Billy thinks the same thing. He's like, that's, that's weird. But, you know, he lets it go. It's totally, you know, it was, who knows? It's just kind of a weird thing. So uh, a couple days uh, go by, and, uh, in fact, the boss had put those two, um, Emily and George, on a group project, on a work project together. So now at home, uh, Billy's starting to hear this name come up again and again. Oh, George this, George that. We went to lunch for this, 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 and this. And, and he's starting to feel like, man, that's kind of weird. You know, that's, a, that's a little bit strange. And, and he's trying not to, to act out on it, but he's like, it, it just feels weird. You know. And, and one evening, he, he, he overhears like an hour-long phone conversation. There's a lot of laughing. There's a lot of giggling. He's like, man, this just doesn't feel right. Doesn't, something about this doesn't feel right. A couple months go by, and uh, Billy gets a call from his best friend. His best friend calls him up and he says, Man, Billy, I, I really hate to say this, but um, I saw your wife and another man last weekend. And it turns out for six months she'd been cheating on Billy with this other man. Now, in this moment, what's, what's Billy feeling? Is he not feeling jealousy? He's like, that, That's my wife. That's that's 17 years of covenant that says you and me and you and me only. We we don't step out on each other. We we have our eyes fixed on one another. We have our our hearts fixed on one another. We made a promise. That promise says, I am yours, you are mine. And out of that jealousy turns to anger, turns to wrath, turns to what is going on? We are in covenant relationship with one another. How do you step away from that? It's a very, very painful, painful feeling. And that is the exact type of jealousy that God feels. He says, I made you. We, we are in relationship together. I, I love you. I am what's best for you. Why do you turn your face to another? Why do you chase things that are not ultimate, namely myself? Well, come back to me. What? Well, why are you fixed on something else? Why, why do you even entertain the thought of something else? And that something else can be a thousand things, from, from success to, to a different relationship to, to chasing after anything. When our eyes are not fixed on God, God says, don't, don't chase idols, chase me. I made you, you're mine, and I am what's best for you. You need to love me. God is jealous for us. He's jealous for Himself. He's jealous for His glory. And He's jealous for the faithfulness of His people. And He's jealous for the faithfulness of His people because He is jealous for His glory. See, God God has to honor Himself. He he has to. Because He is is altogether uncomparably... uh, Perfect in his rightness, in his goodness. We, we need to honor him. We, we have this word, um, doxa, doxology, to give glory to, to give honor to. That, that is our role and everything that God does is to that end. From creation, when, when God creates, he says, the heavens declare the glory, the glories of God, the skies proclaim the work of his name, to, to creating human beings, to creating you and I, where, where we have God's image stamped on us. Right, everything is about giving glory, giving honor, everything is about praising his name because he is good, and the the Bible is filled with this language i mean it's it's all over we we have verses like you know man that there is no one on earth like like me, no one in heaven, no one on earth, I am Yahweh, there is no other it, all over new testament old testament new testament when when jesus is He's faced with temptation. He, he goes out into the desert. He's fasting for 40 days. And the devil comes up to him and says, I'll give you anything you want if you worship me. And what does he say? He says, Begone, Satan. He says, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If God wasn't jealous for our worship of him, would he not be wicked? I mean, if, if God exists, and, and I already said we're a church and we believe God exists, if God exists and He is altogether incomparable in His perfection, then, then isn't it right of Him to only desire that we worship Him? Isn't that right? In the same way that, that if, if, I, if my daughter were to be bantering with death and I just sat back impassively and said, yeah, go ahead, wouldn't I be wicked? That says I'm what's best for you, but but that's that's hard to understand as humans. It's it's hard for us to understand that that God is jealous for Himself, right? Because any time that that happens on a human level, it it's, it turns pretty ugly pretty quick, right? So I, I really believe that until we see Jesus face to face, we won't understand the fullness of what it means to, that God has to glorify Himself. Because in our experience, anytime we do it, it's ugly. Right? right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove this. This is going to be fun. All right, I, I, want, I want you to stand up if and only if you've ever ran a mile in your whole life, your entire life. So from, when, from the time you were born to this morning, if you've ever run a mile, stand up. All right, we're getting things loose here. All right, if you have ever in your whole life ran a mile under 15 minutes, (laughs) I'm being generous here. I want you to feel good. Stay standing. All right. All right. That's all right. Under 10 minutes. Stay standing. If you've ran a mile faster than 10 minutes, stay standing. All right. Faster than eight minutes. And I'm talking full mile, not 1500. I want the whole thing. If you've ran a mile in your whole life at any given point in time, faster than eight minutes, stay standing. All right. Faster than seven minutes. God's watching. I know some of us are in here thinking like, this is my opportunity to show myself. Right. Okay. Faster than six minutes. That means it starts with a five and has another couple numbers after it. Okay. Faster than 530. It's pretty good. Okay. This is good. I have my doubts, but this is good. Faster than 515. Faster than 5. So that means it starts with a 4. Faster than 445. We got some stiff competition in here. You guys already beat first service. That's good. Faster than 430. And we have a winner. All right. Thank you, Rich. What what was your time? 423. Rich Latin ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Now now here's what we're going to do. Rich, we are going to make a crown for you, all right? We are going to make a, a just an awesome silk screen T-shirt that says, I am the fastest, and you really are the fastest, because you're faster than first service, too. So, so I said this in first service, but we didn't know if someone was coming after so so you're really the man now. So, so you've got the T-shirt that says, I'm the fastest, I'm the best at Northwest Hills, and every time you walk through that door, man, we are going to applaud your name. It is going to be Awesome. Paul is going to write you a personal jingle, right? Rich Latin is the fastest guy I know. He's so great, right? Now, now doesn't that get pretty ugly pretty quick? Right now, now why is that? Because can't I turn to his wife who's sitting next to him and say, what's wrong with this guy? And in about three seconds, she could give us a laundry list that we'd probably want to stone him, but maybe not even that far, like... Like, we'd certainly have to change the lyrics to the song. We'd probably have to take his shirt and his crown away. Like, it gets pretty ugly when we try to glorify ourselves, doesn't it? And and here's an even more sobering truth. In a hundred years, none of us are going to be remembered, right? If you're lucky, and this will happen to maybe one of a hundred in here, your mugshot's going to be on some wall somewhere... And your great, great, great grandkids going to say, who is that? And their parents going to say, um, Ancestry.com, uh, blah, 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 ah, that's Grandma Henry, right? But other than that, we are long forgotten. So any, any effort to praise our name is an act of futility that in the end is extremely arrogant and downright ridiculous. So for us to say that someone exists who is about himself, who is about his glory, who who created everything for the sole purpose of making himself look very, very good, that's hard for us to understand. But God is right in his jealousy for himself. So when we said in the beginning, why do you exist? Why are we here There is one answer, to bring glory to God, to glorify God. And here's something else. I'm going to say this. I know some of us are not going to like this, but take it up with God. We do not have a choice whether or not your life will glorify God or not. You will glorify God, every one of us. You will either glorify God. By by loving him, by following him, by serving him and being a, a child of mercy and a child of grace. Or you will glorify God by being, hear me, correctly judged by a righteous God and damned because of your rebellion. That is absolutely true. God will always get the glory that is his. So our question is, how do we glorify God and not only glorify him, but but how do we enjoy him? How how, how do we glorify God and fully enjoy him as God? Because isn't God more praised when we we when we enjoy the glory of him? Right. In the same way that if my wife were to say to me, um, honey, you want to go on a, a hike with me this afternoon? Like, what if I roll my eyes and be like, seven years ago, I made a covenant. I guess I'll go with you. Right? Does that does that bring a lot of glory to our relationship? No, it doesn't. But what brings more glory is when I say, "Baby girl, I'd love to go on a hike with you." You know, let's let's go let's go on a hike to the beach and let's go swimming. And if no one's around, let's go skinny dipping. It'd be great, right? We're seven years. We're married. It's okay. We're allowed to do that, right? It brings God much more joy and honor when we enjoy him that didn't create us to just just bend us to say okay covenant i made a promise that created us as, as being the the uttermost of our affection to where where our lives are filled with the most joy when we are in a relationship with him and he is filling us daily we are created to be in relationship with a god who is jealous for his glory because he is ultimately glorious so how do we do that? And That's a question we've got to ask is How do we bring God glory? Go, go back to what Jesus said when, when he was tempted. He said, our lives are to love, to serve, to follow Christ. So we do this through obedience. We do this through service, and we do this through worship. Right? So, so how do we love God? We're, we're obedient to him. And it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be this this like I'm going to change the world and and every orphan's going to have food after I'm done. Um, we bring obedience to God or we bring glory to God, by, by simple acts of obedience. Right? So, so so being being a good kid, right, being being a fair parent brings glory to God. Sh- showing up here this morning when we could have gone somewhere else because it's a great, beautiful day out there that, that brings glory to God. Being a, a faithful employee, someone who works hard, someone who who's, uh, has a lot of integrity, right? that, that brings glory to God. Right? So, so as, we, as we go, as we are obedient, as we are living life the way God called us to live, all of it brings glory to God. Right? And then we serve. brings glory to God. It says, God, your time is important. My time is important. The way, I, the way I give my time is important. The way I give my money is important. The way, the way that, I, that I've prioritized my life says, Lord, that you are what is uttermost in my affection. You are valuable to me. So we give God our time. And then, and then we worship God. And we do this, we do this in, in many ways. But one of the most beautiful, one of the funnest ways to worship God is, is corporately. And, and we are a people who were created to worship you know, some of us are like, oh, I'm not created to worship. I don't You throw a field and a ball or a boy in a band and we worship. We we were created to worship. You know, we, we've we kind of, in our culture, you know, we've we've really um, elevated the professionals. And, and we don't want to do it if we're not a professional. We don't look good. But that's ridiculous. That's created us to worship. And, and last Saturday night, last Sunday night, The truth came out. I I know that we can worship, right? If you were here, you heard that we know how to worship. So we gather every Sunday to worship. That's why we're here. We're we're not here to simply gather more information. I'm not giving you like a, a biographical update this week on the life of Jesus. Like I am here pleading with you to worship God. That is why we are here. That is why we gather. That's, that's really the, the, the fundamental draw to why we're, we're switching up our worship service a little bit. Right? That, Andy talked about it earlier. We, we are giving a time every single week. where We're about worship. So, so what is this? We, we're talking about realigning ourselves every single week to say, God, I've, I've been off course. Back on to you every single week. That's why it's important to go to church every single week because we're prone to wander. We're prone to chase other things. And God says, no, 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 I'm jealous for you. Come back to me. And every single week as we go to the table, what does the table show? The table shows Christ. Every time we take the cup, every time we take a piece of that cracker that represents his body, every time we take a a drink of that juice that represents his blood, we say, Christ, you know how wicked I am. You know my heart. You know that I'm prone to wander, but you paid for it. And we're reminded every single week, Jesus, the cross brings me back to you. The cross brings me freedom. The cross brings me hope. So there is no one in here who can say, oh, God, God doesn't want me. There's no one in here who can say, I've been too bad. I've done too many wrong things. Because every single week when you go to that table, that table says, I know exactly who you are. And that is why I went to the cross for you. And that should stir us to worship. That should, that should cause us to, to put Christ back in the center, to put, to put God at the height of everything we do and everything we think. And as a body, we ought to lift that up. And that's why we're here. We're going we're to have some time here in a second. We're going to respond. Take your time. We've got, we've got four or five songs. Take, take your time. I, I, it's not like I'm going to say break and we're all going to go at once. Take your time. Right? Uh, Wrestle through some of the stuff I'm saying. If you if you need to repent, if you've been chasing after what is not ultimate, namely Jesus Christ, repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. And then go to the table. If you're not ready to go to the table, don't go to the table. If it's not a representation of Christ and His sacrifice for your life, just hold off a bit. Maybe make that decision that, Lord, this is for me in my life. Maybe today's that first day. It's an awesome time. And then... Then we worship together. Then we lift our voices and we say, God, you are jealous for yourself because you are worthy of our glory pointed at you. God, you're good. Let's pray and do that together. Heavenly Father, we we gather as a people, as a broken people, but but as a body. But as a body who is doing everything we can to love you well. It's not easy, or there's much in this world that's fighting for our attention. There's much in this world that says, follow this image, follow that image, make this a graven image. Worship this, worship that, and God says, I'm a jealous God. I made you, I want you, I want you to know me, I want you to love me, I want you to worship me. It is right that you do that. Lord, would we do that well this morning as we respond in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.